advice and slowly asking questions about your plans for the day and actually have you sit down as I ask about plans that you've made and see how many of you have that well planned out your day. But I decided against that. Some of you, though, have plans for lunch today. Some of you made those plans earlier this week. Some of you came this morning, and while you're driving in the car, you're sitting there going, we have to eat lunch after church. Some of you are just hoping that somebody else asks you to come over so you don't have to worry about it. And some of you are so disorganized, you're like, lunch follows a service? Yes. And that just illustrates in one small area the importance of planning. And God has a plan. God has a plan. His plan is to bring people to himself and then to see them mature and grow up in the faith. And so Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 41 demonstrate his plan of bringing people to himself. But God's plan is not satisfied if all we do is see people come to know him and then they stay there as stale, stagnant Christians for the next 30, 40, 50 years. That is not God's plan. Rather, God's plan includes that those Christians who come to him would then mature and grow in the faith. And how is that accomplished? God's plan is one that will honor him as it rejoices in the sufficiency of the Son's sacrifice and celebrates the enablement of the Spirit. And that is exactly what you see in Acts chapter 2, verses 42-47. The disciples live life together. And as they do so, they grow and they mature and they become more like the one whom they have professed, Jesus Christ. If you would take your Bible and let's read together Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and all had and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I believe that the theme of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 is this, that you and I dedicate ourselves to God's plan and we enjoy his blessings. We rejoice in Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your work. We thank you that your plan works, and that your plan works at all times for all people. We pray that as we examine your plan, that you would help us to identify areas within your plan for maturity, and discipleship, and following you that we need to develop in our own lives individually. And that as you reveal those areas where we are lacking, that you would help us to take steps towards pursuing obedience in those areas so that we can be the mature disciples that you have a desire for us to be. So that someday we can stand before you at the 
end of our lives. And Peter, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for who you are, and thank you that you enable us to grow. And that we do not have to depend upon our own selves, but we can depend upon your spirit to follow your plan. In your name we pray. Amen. As the disciples begin, there is a need for them to devote themselves to God's plan. And as they devote themselves to God's plan, it really has this idea of seeking a single-mindedness. And this isn't something that is foreign to us so far in the book of Acts. This is something that we've already seen take place in the book of Acts, and it's something that we're going to see continue as a theme. Faith in Christ requires that then the believers follow through with a unity. And so as we look back at even Acts chapter 1, verse 14, they all were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is not a foreign concept. And so they devote themselves, they're united, they're pursuing one ambition. And if you and I are to be the disciples that we are supposed to be, it's going to require that we pursue unity. Unity around what we devote ourselves to. We can devote ourselves to many different things. And in fact, we do devote ourselves to many different things. Sometimes very intentionally we devote ourselves to something. Sometimes it just kind of happens. You will do something with your day. What you do with your day is what you are devoting your day to. You can choose to be very intentional in how you do that. Or you can choose to just allow it to kind of happen. For instance, if you go home, and you simply hit the power button on the TV, chances are something will happen. Especially if you have like normal TV. If you have something like Fuss and you have Roku, you have to actually you know, click a little bit more. But if you have it just set so that it's automatically on a TV channel and you hit the power button, what happens? TV comes on and it starts playing something. You can devote yourself very unintentionally the rest of the day to watching whatever programming comes on your screen. Or you can choose to be far more intentional and purposeful in how you invest your time. And what the disciples did was very intentional and purposeful. They devoted themselves to something. They continued steadfastly in something. They were pursuing something with their whole ambition. They weren't simply lackadaisically sitting there with the TV playing and just consuming whatever content it played to them, or mindlessly scrolling through Facebook stories that you've seen 20 different times, and yet maybe if I scroll down far enough, Facebook will show me something new, right? No, these people were devoted, they were dedicated, they were pursuing after something. The disciples are persistent in their pursuit of unity and faithfulness towards Jesus. They are pursuing after something. They have dedicated themselves to Christ. They understand what it means to have truly come to faith in Christ. They have given up what they used to value and hold dear, and now they are pursuing after what Christ wants for them. And so they dedicate themselves to a couple of different things. And we'll look at each one of those in greater detail, but they dedicate themselves to the apostles.
apostles' teaching. They dedicate themselves to the fellowship. They dedicate themselves to the breaking of bread. And they dedicate themselves to the prayer. It's interesting, as you read through verse 42, if your translation accurately translates those phrases, each one of those words has the word the in front of it. There is a definite article in the Greek before each one of those. He is saying that these are specific, concrete things that believers are going to dedicate themselves to. It's not just vague and general. He has a specific idea behind each one of these. And so these people are pursuing this, and as they do so, it has the result of building and developing in them greater desire for unity and devotion to these things. And so their initial desire builds and it leads to greater perseverance. The many things that could have pulled them away or pushed them away from this initial desire did not hinder them. In Acts chapter 2, we haven't seen persecution yet, but persecution will come. And right now they are building foundational steps that allow them to face the persecution and remain faithful. They remain committed and diligently pursue multiple aspects of obedience and growth simultaneously. It's amazing, isn't it? So It's so hard for us sometimes to be intentional and purposeful in multiple areas, and yet that's what they do. Why? their lives are fully and completely dedicated to what they're pursuing. Christ has given them all, so what are they doing? They are giving all to Christ. Through faithfulness to God's plan, the disciples will see their own growth and the faith of many others as well. You'll see this especially in verse 47, but I think you see a hint of it at verse 43. The result of verse 42 is what? The people look on with fear. In part, I believe, 43 is referring back to 42. There is a strong emphasis, I believe, also on their seeing signs and wonders that the apostles are performing. And they're just like, whoa. Like, that is unique. That's not something we've seen before. These people have something we don't have. And that's scared. that fear is balanced out, I believe, by the principles that you see in verse 42, which actually actually leads the community to not only looking upon the new community of believers with fear, but they actually look upon them in verse 47 with favor. And then the Lord uses that to add to his church those who are being saved. And so as we think about all this, as we think about the call upon these early disciples to devote themselves to something, are you and I willing to devote ourselves to God's plan? It is going to require sacrifice. It's going to require that you give up your plans. Probably not the plans that you made for lunch, but possibly, I suppose. But it's going to require that you give up far greater plans than what you Because God's plan is so much greater. You give up your plan 
for how you are going to use your time, your talents, your treasure, your abilities to then take on God's plan and say, this is how God wants me to live and live among and relate to the believers that he's put me in community with. And so, and so a question that you and I need to wrestle with is, are we willing to devote ourselves to what God says we should be devoting ourselves to? Are we willing to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the pursuits of fellowship, to the pursuits of breaking of bread, to the pursuits of the prayers? These are the questions that I believe you and I should be asking ourselves. He moves on, and as he moves on, he tells us in verse 42 that they pursue submission to God's word. Verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly, or they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, or the apostles' doctrine. They knew something was worth dedicating themselves to a pursuit of. And so they had a hunger, they had a passion for God's word. But what was this teaching? I mean, most of these people who we're talking about in verse 42 and following, these are people who have grown up hearing the Old Testament taught to them on a regular basis. These are not people who had simply heard the message and were kind of on the outskirts of whether or not we are going to receive this message. These are people who loved what they'd heard. How do we know that? These are people from all over who have come to Jerusalem for Pentecost. Why have they come to Jerusalem for Pentecost? Because they're embracing those teachings. These people are not people who are like on the outskirts and they don't really know much about who God is and how God wants them to live. No, these are people who have dedicated themselves to understanding the Old Testament and to living it out on a daily basis. But the scripture assumes that what they formerly knew was insufficient. They're dedicating themselves not to the rabbi's teaching, not to the Pharisee's teaching, but to the apostles' teaching. So what is the central component of the apostles' teaching? What were the apostles teaching them? And the apostles were teaching them Jesus. I believe specifically they're talking to them about the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's why John chapter 1, verses 16 through 17 tells us, And it is the fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so they dedicated themselves to the truth that Jesus Christ has brought grace. And, and how they now live in community with each other, how they live in relationship to God's commands and in how they think through what they're supposed to do next is not motivated by law anymore. It's now motivated by, motivated by the fact that Christ has demonstrated grace upon grace to them. And they rejoice in who Christ is. They rejoice in the grace that he's demonstrated and they dedicate themselves to it. They're like, this teaching of who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished in our lives is so great selves to the pursuit of this. But they didn't just simply know. They actually followed through by doing. How do we know that? We know that because of the following three things that they dedicate themselves to. 
They don't simply know who Jesus is, that God is a God of grace who's demonstrated his grace marvelously in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But they go forward and they move forward in steps of faith to follow him in his obedience. So often our pursuits of knowing Christ can end with simply knowing facts and failing to follow through by doing something about what we know. But these early disciples, they dedicated themselves not only to the teaching, but to the application that the teaching pointed them to. And so will you and I be people who pursue and obey the word of God? It's going to make demands upon your life. It's going to make demands upon my life. And sometimes as we look upon those demands that the principles of God's word makes upon us, it may appear at first that those demands, those commands that God has given, are going to be so hard that you and I cannot bear them. And yet that is not true. Because scripture tells us, in fact the very words of Jesus tell us what? That he is gentle and lowly. And that through him alone our soul finds rest. And it's offered to who? To those who labor and those who are heavy laden. And that is what qualifies you to come and to receive the word and then to live out the word. It's not you. It's Jesus. Jesus offers grace. And the apostles dedicate themselves to this teaching. <coughs> they move forward. And they continue to dedicate themselves in other areas. They dedicate themselves in a love for each other. And this is one of the commands that is then further clarified in verse 44 and following. Verse 42 says, They dedicated themselves, or they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The breaking of bread and the prayers. And when we hear the word fellowship... We probably have a, you know, kind of limited view about what that word entails. You know, you may think when you hear that word, they're talking about pastor's fellowship. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about just pastor's fellowship. And um, if, if you've just been a pastor's fellowship, you know, once in a while, you fulfilled the instruction of dedicating yourselves to or continuing earnestly or steadfastly in pursuing fellowship. Because I went to the pastor's fellowship at least once. That's not what he's talking about. It isn't. He's not talking about simply going and having a meal with somebody else. Look at how he further describes this idea in verses 44 and following. And he, he actually uses a very, very similar Greek word as he describes what's going on in verses 44 and following. Look with me at verse 44. Now all who had believed were together and had all things in common. The idea of common there and the idea of fellowship, the one word is part of the other word. And so what is he describing here? He's describing the fact that the disciples had a genuine compassion and care for one another. Not simply in that they are willing to get together for you know an hour and a half or two hours together on a, on a you know somewhat regular basis to enjoy a meal together, 
Rather, he's saying that they are willing to sacrifice of their own needs to ensure that the needs of others were cared for. That's what he means by fellowship. Fellowship is not simply spending time together. It's partly that, yes. But it doesn't end there. It also includes the talents and the treasures that you and I have and being willing to share our whole life, time, talents, and treasures with one another in fellowship. And so he's calling upon you and I to have a far bigger view of what fellowship is. It entails, it includes spending time doing things together, possibly eating. It doesn't have to be eating. But it entails far more than so he tells that he tells us that these people dedicate themselves to one another. They are willing to sacrifice their own comfort and standing and security for the benefit of others. It's going to require sacrifice as you and I pursue true fellowship with one another. The sacrifice of all of us. At least, at least a willingness to give all. It's not going to take all. But it's a willingness to give all for the benefit of others. He moves on. He says some are willing to even sell their own possessions for the needs of others. And sold, uh, verse 45, and all had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had this is not some form of communism. There were Israelite groups in that time who required that when you joined their group that you had no individual property. So communistic ideas of like no individual property um, were prevalent, or not prevalent, but they were, they were part of society. People thought that way at times. Rather, here you see people having possessions and they at times willingly choose to give up some of their possessions so that they can care for the needs of others. So they still own the items. They willingly choose to sell some. And you know that this is true because what? In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira still have possessions to sell. It's not like everybody just sold everything as soon as they came to Christ or that everything that they had was still required to be sold Paul tells them, or not Paul, but Peter tells them when they come and they are confronted with their sin of lying, he says, when it was still your own, wasn't it your own? And when you sold it, wasn't it still your own? What is the implication? The implication is they didn't have to give everything. And so the, the requirement isn't that you give all, but it is the willingness to have your items given to the need of others. And, and why do they do this? They do this because they have seen the grace of They've seen it in the teaching. They've seen it as it's been lived out in the community. And they've seen it in Christ giving of his own life to people. And so they've seen the grace of Christ. They've seen how much they've been given. And so they freely and willingly choose to give of what they have to others. And so the call is a call for you and I to pursue fellowship. Fellowship that's willing to give of our time, our talents, and our treasures 
to others, to provide for and care for the needy? Are you and I then willing to love God's people sacrificially? Of course, there's the need to understand, uh, the need to teach responsibility. There is the need for us to care for our own. There is the need for even restrictions, right? The restriction that says, who do they care for the needs of? They care for the needs of believers. the early church was characterized by a desire to share their lives completely together. Not just a small segment of their life around a meal together, but their whole lives were willing to be shared. Why? Because they are motivated by the grace of Christ that they have received. Not only that, though, but they are also willing to remember Verse 42, and specifically the breaking of bread, is probably one of the most debated verses and phrases in all of Acts chapter 2. There are, there are numerous commentators that side very strongly and say, this is not the Lord's Supper. And there are numerous commentators that are very well respected that say, this is absolutely the Lord's Supper. As I studied it, thought about it, and currently on the side that this is Lord's Supper, in part because um, a couple of things. I think that the fact that there's the word the makes it a definite article. So there's definitely something that is a concrete idea that he's thinking behind. And it seems to me that in the context of the apostles' teaching, the, the fellowship, and the prayer, to say, throw a meal in there in the midst of all that, is just say, a meal, seems to be not understanding the significance of the word the that's placed in front of each one of the things that they dedicate themselves to. In addition, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. And when is Jesus made known to the stranger on the road to Emmaus? In the breaking of bread. And so it seems to me that if this is volume two of Luke's work, that Theophilus is reading through this and he would read the breaking of bread and he would more quickly go to, this is something that Jesus used to reveal himself in the past. And he would more quickly associate this with who Jesus is. And so that's my, that's my position currently. Um, if you disagree with me, that's okay. We can still be friends. Uh, but that's my, that's my current position. And why do they remember Christ? They remember Christ because he's central. He's central to who they are and what they are pursuing. We see that in their dedication to the teaching. We see that in their dedication to fellowship. They're willing to give sacrificially to one another. The concept is that we would be willing to give all so that the needs of others are cared for. Not that we will give all, but that we're willing to give all. We have open arms. We're willing to be accessible and given to the needs of others. They regularly take time to remind themselves of the centrality of the gospel. It seems to me that probably verse um, 46 is emphasizing and kind of following up with this verse in verse 42. So if you notice in verse 42, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house that ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, Probably verse 46 emphasizes a little bit more the aspect of meal, but I think there may be also an idea of, or an uh, emphasis also, once again, to 
here on the Lord's Supper of, this is something that they're constantly reading. As they do so, they're reminding themselves, they're rejoicing in who Christ is, what Christ has provided for them. They worship in the temple daily, which is a common practice back then, and then they go from house to house, they break bread, they remind themselves, Christ died for us. Christ's body was broken for us. Christ's blood was shed for us. This is the new covenant. So they're remembering, regularly reminding themselves and proclaiming to themselves the truth of the gospel. That Jesus Christ has demonstrated grace through his life. And that we too then must follow that and live in grace. So how will you and I purpose to remember Christ this week? We did that this morning. I think it's important for us to prioritize and seek, if at all possible, to be involved in the corporate times of remembering through the Lord's Supper. But I think that the application carries over further than just simply purposing that once a month we will dedicate ourselves to remembering the cross of Christ. I think Ethan, I think it was, that, that was praying, and as he prayed, he, he asked that we would be mindful to remember on a on a regular basis and to seek to seek God's forgiveness on a regular basis for our sins so that we would have a close fellowship throughout our lives. Not just, you know, on the Sunday right before Lord's Supper we're like cramming and trying to remember all the things we should ask forgiveness for. In the next two days we're like really living in light of that and then we go back our own way. Rather we live our life constantly thinking Am I in fellowship with the Lord? Is my life such that I could participate in the Lord's Supper and do so with a clear conscience? So purposing to remember is not simply a call upon you or I to dedicate one day to remembering who Christ is. It's a call for you and I to remember constantly who Christ is. Finally, the people pray together. They dedicate themselves to the prayer list. He says this in verse 42, in the breaking of bread and in prayers is how my translation says it. There is a definite article there as well. They dedicate themselves to the prayer list. The disciples that are acknowledging their dependence upon the Father. They realize that what has happened and what will happen is not as a result of their own efforts, not a result of their own strength, of their own ability, Rather, it's constant, daily dependence upon the Father's plan. As the Son orchestrates it and as the Spirit enables it, they are depending upon Him for their continued spiritual growth. They are depending upon Him for their spiritual maturity and Christ-likeness as a believer. So the disciples acknowledge Him, they depend upon Him, they're demonstrating their faith in Him by constantly going to Him in but they appeal to the Father's plan to sustain, protect, and provide for them as well. They know that they need him. I believe also probably as you look at just their response in um, uh, verse 46, verse 47, sorry, um, that most likely this also included a rejoicing in who Christ is and what Christ is. Notice that as they break bread, as they leave the temple, and as they 
uh, rejoice with gladness and simplicity of heart. What are they doing? They're praising God. And so they approach the Father, I believe, in prayers of thanksgiving as well. And so it's this all-encompassing prayer, probably very, very personal prayers, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of appeal, asking for God's help, and, and probably even some set prayers where they were very memorized prayers that were part of a religious ceremony, such as when Jesus was asked, how do we pray? And Jesus told them, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. They probably incorporated some of those in their prayers as well. The Jews often had memorized prayers that were part of religious ceremonies. And so they dedicate themselves to these prayers. And then finally, so are you dedicated to prayers? Are you training yourself to thank the Lord for his many blessings? Are you willing to trust the uncertainties of life with great faith and hope as well? Finally, they rejoice in his faithfulness. Notice the people respond in verse 43, and they're fearful of this new community. They're like, this is crazy. Look at what these guys are doing. These signs and wonders like, yikes. You guys stay over there. We'll stay over here. We'll do our own thing. You do your own thing. But as the community lives life together, as they learn greater and greater amounts of truth and they apply that truth, the apostles' teaching, as they live in fellowship and they share their lives together fully and completely, as they remember and constantly remind themselves of the grace of Jesus Christ, as they come together in prayer and ask the Father to continue to enable his plan to move forward, what happens? Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. The people who are fearful of this new community in verse 43 look upon these people as a result of their faithfulness to the word of God You know, sometimes we think that if we live as people who are Christians in our world, that we'll simply be content. And some will think that. But the model of Scripture is also that there are some people that are going to look upon you and they're going to see that your life is so drastically changed to such a sweet place of fellowship and community with obedience to the Lord and prayer characterizing remembering who your God is, they're going to look upon you with favor. And what's the result of that? The result of that is, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. God's plan works. God's word marches forward. The plan of God is undeterred by fearful people. Why? Because the Spirit of God works among the people of God and transforms those who are outside. Is your life, is my life, characterized by similar truths, by similar characteristics, so that our lives are something that are attractive to unbelievers, that cause them to move from being people who are fearful of what we claim, who will look upon us with favor and say, this is a community that I could be a part of. And so they rejoice in his faithfulness. The response of the crowd demonstrates they are under conviction. And God uses the people's obedience to draw more people to himself. And I believe that this is a, the response of this would naturally be the same as yours. And so are you and I rejoicing in God's hands in our world? 
And so as we think about application, how does God want us to use these truths in our own lives? God is seeking servants who are dedicated to his kingdom. Is there a life characterized by dedication? And if you look at these lists of four areas, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayer, and you say, you know, I'm going to develop in one of these areas. Just do one. area does God want you to grow in your dedication to him this coming month? What specific steps are you going to take to dedicate yourself to God's kingdom? How are you going to mature in loving God's word? You and I need to make God's word our authority and our God. That means we're going to study it and we're going to obey it. We need to look for meaningful ways to serve the community with our time, our talents, and our treasure. Why? Because that's what real fellowship is. Sometimes it'll be this time around, you know, watching a game together, or time around playing a game together, or eating a meal together. But sometimes it's going to require that we give of our talents, our talents, and our treasure. And so we're going to meaningfully serve the we're going to remember the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. Not just simply once a month when the church calendar says Lord's Supper is today, or a day or two before and after. We're going to seek to remind ourselves on a regular, daily basis, Christ died for me. I proclaim Christ as my life. And finally, we are going to pray for the faithfulness. Pray for faithfulness. God for his past faithfulness, and we're going to rejoice in his unfaithfulness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the fact that your plan is revealed to us. And that we do not have to depend upon our own strength, our own abilities to accomplish your plan, because your spirit enables us to accomplish your plan. We pray that we would be dedicated, that we would be devoted to what you call us to do. That we would love your word, and that as a result we would love you and have a desire to obey you. We pray that we would love one another and we would be willing to sacrifice of our time, our talents, and our treasure so that we can have true fellowship as a community of faith. We pray that you would help us to daily remember sacrifice of your son and that we would remind each other who you are and proclaim not only with our lips but also through our lives that we believe you are all to us and finally we pray that you would use us to be people who pray for your enablements and praise you for your past faithfulness that as we do so we would be able to rejoice in you using our feeble Meager attempts to bring others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In the name of Christ, amen. You would stand with me as we sing only one life as our closing song.